Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, July the 9th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God, and we see the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And his light shines on us in the midst of our darkness as we continue to look at the Psalms, to stop, study, and pray the Psalms from Psalm 5. This Psalm is a Psalm of David. It's a prayer against false teaching. Luther says some wonderful words about how this false teaching is something that that the Lord is continually going against. And as we hear this not only in the scriptures, but we hear this in our confessions about how God despises the wicked and the truth that the truth that he is in control. I love our time in the Psalms these last few days and into next week because it helps us to be connected to the people of old who would pray these same words. And it helps us to pray today and to focus our eyes on Christ. As we do so today, we know that the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome Pastor Robert Wenzel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Bemidji, Minnesota. Pastor Wenzel, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you, and thank you for the invitation. Well, Pastor Wenzel, this is a, a popular time in Bemidji, if I'm correct. Uh, being from Minnesota, it's a, I know a little bit, but I know people kind of flock north when you're in Minnesota. So tell us what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church in Bemidji. Well, you're right that this is a popular vacation spot, and uh, we have the statue of Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, which is supposed to be the second most photographed uh, tourist, tourist site in the United States. Mm. And I'm not sure what number one is, perhaps the Grand Canyon. Uh, so a lot of people come through here this time of year. Uh, we are uh, northern Minnesota, so we're about six months of snow and ice and six months of beautiful weather. Mm. Uh, so it's a wonderful place to be living. I uh, grew up about 100 miles west of here in the Red River Valley, which is almost pure agriculture and over here we're forests and streams and lakes and fishing and hunting and a lot of people retiring up here too uh, but they tend to go south for the winter absolutely and that's one of the jokes that i always have is a minnesotan will say oh i love minnesota i'd never leave and then he gets to thanksgiving and they'll say okay pastor we'll see you in may yeah, we'll see you in a few months. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So tell us about uh, Trinity and, and the, the, how long you've been there and uh, or your family or whatever you want to share. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to start out by saying I started at a Trinity Lutheran Church in Fisher, Minnesota, where I grew up and was catechized, and that's where we started raising our children. Um, mm. My wife, Dion, I met her at North Dakota State University while we were both attending. Uh, she uh, thought that it would, it would be okay to marry me, even if I was a farmer. <laughs> and she became kind of a farm wife. And we uh, had four children very quickly. And I farmed for about the next 15 years after our marriage uh, until we ended up in Missouri. And I ended up going to the seminary down there. And so after six years in Missouri at the seminary, St. Louis, uh, I was assigned to 
another Trinity Lutheran church in Walton, Nebraska. And now I'm at a Trinity Lutheran in northern Minnesota. And uh, we're kind of at the center of a circuit uh, with eight congregations in spread out over thousands of square miles. And so we're not actually a legal or illicit circuit. We don't have enough congregations and we don't have enough people to be called a proper circuit, uh, but they graciously make an exception for us. And as a result uh, of our being spread out so much uh, and the travel involved, we really do uh, enjoy getting together as pastors, and we do that once a month. Trinity here in Bemidji is the only uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in town. Uh, I guess the best, one of the best things we're doing here is offering a preschool and child care center uh, to introduce the little kids to Jesus. Uh, we are in an area that a lot of people uh, are not into organized religion as they, they kind of denigrate it. I think it's better than disorganized religion. There you go. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we uh, preach the gospel here, and uh, to my great delight, soon after I came here, the congregation decided that we should have the Lord's Supper every single week. And that was a, a sweet thing for me to hear. And so, Pastor, it's a it's a joy to hear of that, where you are separated from other well, Missouri Synod churches, at, at least, and to be able to get together and to realize that you know the, the the no matter the size of the congregation, it still proclaims Christ and Him crucified, and the 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 fruit that is bore through those congregations, even from a long distance, because. Most people will see that area as a place to go fish or to go hunt, but you're making sure this is a place where Christ is proclaimed. And so uh, thank you for that introduction this morning. And this is important, too, as we look at Psalm 5, because it points us to the Lord's righteousness. So can you begin our time as we look at prayer and also to begin our time in prayer this morning? Yes, indeed. Just hold on a second. I'm going to look up the collect from this past Sunday because it matches almost perfectly ah, good point. Yeah. with our psalm today. So here is the collect for proper nine. Oh God, your almighty power is made known chiefly in showing mercy. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we may be called to repentance and made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Pastor, as we look at the Psalms, the last few days and into next week, we take a little bit of a break from Second Kings, and, and this next week we'll be going into Nehemiah. But it's important for us to look at the Psalms because it can be a lot of times seen as kind of a side note to the worship service or or something that um, we hear people sing occasionally, or we hear that occasional Psalm 23 at a, at a funeral, or how majestic is your name in all the earth, Psalm 8, or something along those lines, or in a movie reference in Psalm 149 and um, Footloose or something like that. But the Psalms are very important to the life of the Christian. So let me ask you this question. Why should we value the Psalms as Christian people? Well, I guess the obvious answer is that they are the very Word of God. Uh, but to elaborate on that, it's the word given to us uh, for use as we worship together and also as we meditate and pray on our own. Uh, the Psalms have always had these uh, two different arenas 
uh, one in the church service itself, and the other people just reading and studying them uh, at home alone or maybe in a small group. Uh, the You mentioned that a lot of people might not really be aware of the Psalms, except for some of the more uh, noted ones. But, uh, for instance, if you are using an introit at the beginning of your church service, uh, that's almost always verses from the Psalms. And if no other way, our people get exposed to the Psalms that way every week. There's usually a psalm assigned for the day, and uh, some churches use that as well. And also the psalms are a great part of some of the daily office uh, services that we might be using, matins or vespers or evening prayer. Uh, that's a, on the monastic model of, of praying maybe six times a day. And uh, if you are in a monastic order, you might go through the entire 150 psalms in a single month or maybe even in a couple of weeks. Mm. And so you actually did learn to uh have them stored up in your memory, and they're a great resource then, uh, teaching us how to pray and giving us the very words in which we may properly pray. So, Pastor, in your own personal life, as a pastor and as a Christian, what ways have you been able to utilize the Psalms um, in your daily life? I, I love to use uh, the book that we have from our publishing house called The Treasury of Daily Prayer and often pray matins, even if it's just by myself. And I use the the uh, suggested psalms there, very beneficial for my meditation. And uh, try to use the psalms as much as I can uh, in our divine service, uh, not just the intro it, but sometimes even taking the psalm of the day and uh, using it as a text for the sermon. I don't think we do quite enough of that. Mm. This is something where, to reminder to our listeners, one of the great joys of the Psalms is that there's days where we don't know what to pray. Uh, you know, it's kind of, okay, what do I pray for to now? And to know that you can go to wherever it is that you pray. Um, for me, it's the sanctuary because I work here in the church. Um, and, you know, that's something, one of the joys of being a pastor, too, is you can go in there and usually it's quiet. And, um, and you'll be able to just read a psalm, and you're praying to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit fills you, as we believe, when we're in the Word of God. So that's why I think that one of the great powers, and you said it so well too, Pastor, is to be able to go through it in a, a good routine, and an order, but also to realize that whenever I open up a psalm, I can go in and pray, especially at different times. If you're grieving, imprecatory psalms are important. If you need strength, there's other psalms. Um, needing grace, there's psalms for that as well. And so this is something that I get so excited to be able to um, study the psalms. And today is no different with Psalm 5 because of all the gems that are there. So anything else on the general uh, thoughts on the psalms before we dig into Psalm 5 specifically? Uh, just that the Psalms reflect what happens in our lives as Christians. We're not immune from temptations. Uh, we have fears. Uh, we have joys. And the Psalms can certainly help us express all these things. I think the first time I ever consciously used the Psalms was when I was a freshman at North Dakota State University and feeling kind of uh, out of my element and homesick and a little bit lonely, and I had a book of psalms. I didn't have a whole Bible with me, but someone had given me a book of psalms, and it wasn't a very contemporary type of translation, 
uh, not the more beautiful language of some of the older translations. But I remember sitting in my dorm room and paging through and then going, aha, this is the psalm I need to pray right now. Because it spoke so well uh, of the realities of our spiritual lives. Well, this morning, let let us have the Psalms and the Lord speak to us through Psalm 5. A reminder to our listeners that we'll be um, studying Psalm 5 from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. So open up your Bibles and let's get started to study and to pray. Psalm 5, what I'll start is reading the whole psalm and then we'll wrap around with more verse-by-verse and thematic thoughts. So, like I said before, this is our time to be able to pray. Psalm 5. David writes, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels, because the abundance of their transgressions cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Pastor, as we hear these words this morning, is there any thematic uh, thoughts you have on the whole psalm, uh, which you've noticed, or some um, important highlights that you want to share with us this morning? Well, it is a psalm of supplication, asking the Lord for justice against the evil that's in the world. And we can look at it as David probably was being afflicted at this time that he would write a psalm like this. Uh, But I don't think it's completely just about David, because David, of course, is a prophet of the coming Messiah, and in some ways foreshadows Christ. And we also look at the psalms as Christ's own word, And these are the kind of things that Christ himself can pray and lead us to pray. And so we look not only to David's situation, but we certainly apply it to the life of every Christian, uh, maybe even to the church as a whole, as we are often under attack. And uh, there is a lot of deceit. uh, There's a lot of hatred toward us. And we cry out to the Lord basically for justice because he is a holy and just God. And we see that in this psalm. Uh, Verses 4 through 6 are basically telling us that our God is a holy God who cannot uh, exist side by side with evil. The evil must fall before our God's holiness. And we do pray for judgment, 
And in a strange way, people might say, well, that's not very Christian of you to pray for judgment. Uh, but this is the judgment of the Lord against those who absolutely refuse to follow him in faith. And it's the truth that they will be subject to the Lord's justice. But we're also praying against ourselves because there is lying, there is deceit, uh, there are many sins and trespasses in our own lives uh, which we need to repent of. And so we're actually praying this against ourselves in a way. Uh, we need the mercy of the Lord to save us from our own guilt. And I love how you laid that out because there are, this is, I, I mentioned uh, last week, um, and especially this week we ended Second Kings, that there's times where you felt like you're on a roller coaster. You know, it depends if you like roller coasters. I personally do not. So I kind of like the parts I'm going slow. I hate the parts I'm going fast. And you're up and down. And I felt like that with Psalm 5 here is that there's parts where you're like, all right, the Lord's compassionate and listening to me. And then there's prayer for judgment. And then there's a prayer of, of thanksgiving that our Lord hears our prayers. So I kind of felt that a little bit of a roller coaster up and down throughout the psalm. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, th this is a, a, a very nice construction here at the very beginning. We have three verses uh, commanding the Lord to listen to us. And we think, well, that's a, a, a little much for us human beings to do. And yet I was drawn to our small catechism, mm -hmm. where when we pray our Father who art in heaven, uh, we are tenderly invited to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that we with all boldness and confidence may ask him his dear children, ask their dear Father. Uh, this is us talking to the one who we uh, know will hear us. And if it's a godly prayer, like, like this one is, he is certainly going to listen to us. He loves to hear from his children. And, and this, those, are, those are great connections. So as we, as we pray this psalm this morning and study it even further, I like how you laid this out because in that book from Concordia Publishing House, reading the psalms with Luther, he makes connections with this psalm to the commandments, the second and third commandments, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God and remember the Sabbath day, mm -hmm. and also makes a connection to what you did, the first petition and the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. And, and this is, hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come. So it's good for us to have that whole filter, first of all, because all of Scripture is interconnected. You know, Scripture interprets Scripture and points us to Christ, um, but also points us to the simple teaching that we are to do in our homes, and the simple teaching that we have throughout our lives. So just to keep that in mind, too, that this is not a, we just read Psalm 5, but it connects to so many other um, parts of Holy Scripture. So, Pastor, I want to start digging through the verses here, but I want to check if you have anything else you want to highlight in a broad, uh, 30,000-foot level in, in any way. <laughs> uh, just that we pay attention to where we hear God's law here and also where we hear God's gospel for us. Ah. And, of course, it ends with great gospel. Wonderful. All right, so let's go through these verse by verse. Um, actually, I'll go a few verses at a time, and we'll go almost exactly how you have been highlighting so far. Verses 1 through 3, and I specifically, for myself, and I want to hear your thoughts, um, what does it mean that he speaks to God in this way? Like you said so well, he basically commands God to do this for him. Listen to me now. 
what does this tell us about how God, uh, how he sees God if he's speaking to him this way? So verses one through three. Give ear yeah, to, he, Okay, let me read it again. Let's pray it again. Okay. One through three. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So I, I apologize, I didn't tell you I was going to read there before, but, okay. but, <laughs> but Pastor, what does this tell us about how he sees God, or how David sees God as he gives a command to the Lord? Well, it's interesting that uh, the Lord is described by three different names or, or titles. Uh, in the first line, you see that the, the Lord is capitalized, and that is what is in Hebrew the holy name, the revealed name of, of God, Yahweh. And whenever you hear Yahweh, there's a very personal relationship. This is the one who is there for you. He is your God, and uh, all good things will come from him. And so Yahweh is often correlated with gospel parts of Scripture. Mm. But then when we get down to verse 2, it's my king and my God are addressed. And the God here is the Hebrew Elohim. And this is more of a judgmental, just, holy, righteous God standing above and, and rendering his judgments upon us. And also, here is King David addressing the Lord as my king. Mm. He's under the big king. And uh, it's sort of like Thomas confessing, my Lord and my God. So uh, we see both God in his mercy and his, and we also see God in his might and his justice here. And that's a great distinction of the different names because I, you know, I, I guess I didn't really catch that. You have the Lord, Yahweh, personal name. Then you have king, which even has double meaning because the king, the kind of the king of the Old Testament we often will think about, um, is calling him, you know, uh, the king and God who obviously brings wrath and judgment. And so it's, it's interesting, too, that the names matter when we talk about God. And this goes back to what you said in the introduction to prayer, because if you see him as father as a, as a as a child would see their loving father that's different than if you saw him as come you said with elohim god a judgmental god obviously he sees god as a loving father is that kind of what you saw in those few verses that too but also recognizing the justice of the lord's way mm. in hating evil so we see with the names and titles of, of god that are used here that we see both a gracious god and a God that cannot stand evil, abhors evil, and will destroy evil. You know, what I find interesting as you look at Psalm 5 is that when you get to verse 3, that this is something I commonly have used in my own prayer life, and also when we do a simple service, maybe at a circuit meeting or at a um, gathering of pastors or a conference or something, but the daily prayer for individuals and families, specifically page 295 in our Lutheran service book, has Psalm 5 as the beginning. So you begin in the name of the triune God, and right away, in the in morning, O Lord, you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So it highlights one thing that I think is very good for us to remember as Christians is that idea of watching and waiting on the Lord. 
So, Pastor, do you have any thoughts on that? Because he's asking him, hey, Lord, um, uh, listen to me. But then he's also talking about, I'm going to wait for him as well. Any thoughts on verse 3 and that dynamic? Uh, indeed. Um, I was reminded of Luther's morning prayer, mm-hmm. uh, where we get up in the morning and commend ourselves to the Lord. And uh, in the morning, after you've had maybe a, a bad night, or maybe you had a, a night of great restful sleep, that you've got a new day ahead of you, new challenges, new temptations, and to be able to begin with a psalm like this, and especially this verse, is uh, uh, really setting us up for uh, a great Christian life for the day. We're doing things uh, under the Lord's watch, and we're listening for His Word, and that doesn't mean we have to be reading Scripture all the day long, but we certainly have all these words from Scripture as part of our very being, as we've uh, heard these words so many times. And so, uh, you, you know, we, we might not be directly having a Bible in our hands, but that doesn't mean that the Word is apart from us. And I want to ask this one question before our break. Is He says, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Did you do any study on that and what that might mean? Sacrifice. What does he mean by that? So in the uh, tabernacle, there were sacrifices made every morning. And so this sounds like almost part of uh, a liturgical act that's going on, uh, that David, as king of his people, uh, might be going over to the tabernacle with the priests and uh, offering up a sacrifice for the priests to to uh, take care of there. and. He's taking part really in a worship service. And the sacrifices that our Lord wants, especially after the Old Testament here, is not uh, a fatted calf, not uh, uh, anything that sheds blood, but he wants the sacrifice of faith from us, uh, which is that we look to him for every good thing in our life. Uh, So uh, this is a wonderful way to start out the morning. How do we prepare a sacrifice in our day and age? Uh, We commend everything to the Lord, and we say we're going to trust you that everything that happens is going to be for our salvation in one way or another. As we reflect on that, a good reminder to you, our listeners, that Psalm 5 might be a great psalm for you to start every morning. Might not every morning, but a lot of mornings, because it does make us realize that God does listen. So right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Psalm 5 with Pastor Robert Wenzel, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And 
welcome back. We are studying Psalm 5 with Pastor Robert Wenzel, and we have gotten through um, the first three verses. And right now, Paul, not excuse me, Paul, what am I talking about? This isn't Paul, this is David. Um, David is, is writing this psalm, and Pastor, you mentioned it a little bit about he might be going through suffering because there's a lot of groaning and crying that he speaks about. Did you have any, any thoughts on that? Do we have any insights about what he might have been going through or not? Well, we, we know the general circumstances of David's life, how he always was surrounded by enemies, sometimes even from within his own family. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were political considerations. There were military considerations. Uh, there were the nations that surrounded Israel and coveted Israel. And so David did not have a whole lot of rest and peace in his life. And so this could have been prompted by one of those occasions. And when we talk about the groaning and the crying, I know uh, one English translation uh, put the word groaning as murmuring. And we are reminded that sometimes we do not know how to pray, what to pray. We cannot find the words. Uh, But we know that Jesus is praying for us and that the Holy Spirit is bringing our our prayers before the throne of the Father. And so... uh, uh, many times I think we're like this. We don't even know what to pray for, but that's all right because we're going to trust that the Lord knows our condition, knows our distress, and will listen to us even if we're inarticulate. And I do think um, as we hear this, when, when he is one realizing he has a compassionate God that he can go to, I also envision myself, because there's those nights you just don't sleep well for various reasons. I mean, it could be across-the-board reasons. But when you wake up the next morning and you have not slept well, that's the point where you are just, in many ways, dreading the day. And what a great psalm to work with, because one, you admit that God is compassionate and will help you through that day. I know I need to do that more often. And secondly, that we watch and the Lord will be at work this day. And this is a great reminder for us as well. So I really, it really resonated with me when you talked about the possibility of suffering and a morning prayer because, you know, now my kids are a little bit older, but when they were little, I should have really brought out Psalm 5 more when the kids didn't sleep and I had to take on the next day um, with all the joy and the challenges that comes. So, Pastor, any other thoughts on those first three verses before we move on? Um, Just again to emphasize that this is a friendly demand of the Lord, that he would listen and heed what we're saying, and and then also the unspoken uh, message that we trust him to to act for us. But we're just going to stand there and watch and see what happens. Let's continue on. The next three verses, verses 4 through 6. Four through six. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So there's a there's an obvious change here from the first three verses to verses four through six. He starts to confess God and how God views evil. And what does it tell us? Uh, He's not indifferent to it. He's Mm -hmm. not tolerant of it. He is a holy God, and we're an unholy people. Now, we might think that in the context of David, that this is perhaps political enemies and conspiracies 
at the court. But when I was reading Luther on Psalm 5, he says this applies to what happens in the church as well. Hypocrites and false teachers and deceitful people are right within the church of God. And so uh, that's certainly a, a contemporary application for us, too, that there is a lot of evil done uh, by wolves in sheep's clothing. And what does it mean to say that... Um that evil may not dwell with you. You, you know, what does that mean? Evil will not dwell with God. Uh, just completely incompatible. Uh, the sinner cannot stand in the presence of the Holy God, which is why in Isaiah six, Isaiah is petrified at the vision of the Lord on his throne of judgment in his temple. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. Woe is me, he says. Right. And this is important for us, because this it's too easy to read these verses and then look to somebody else, like you said, to a political figure for David, or for us to look at, the quote, the people outside of maybe the church walls, or even outside our own lives, and say, oh, yeah, they're speaking about that person to that person, but it could be speaking about us. Why is that important for us to, this would probably be some, some strong law, as you mentioned, the law gospel we see in this, very strong law for us to bring us to repentance. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, as we meditate on this and realize that it couldn't be someone other than those out there, uh, we start to have introspection and wonder if we are delighting in wickedness, uh, that we're being boastful and proud, um, that we're sometimes hypocritical, maybe even speaking lies. Uh, and it is the old Adam in us that uh, still makes its appearance, despite uh, everything, uh, that we have to repent of, and we have to push him back under the baptismal waters and make him drown again. Uh, so these verses should not only be directed against those apart from us, but we have to basically preach these lines to ourselves and see, do we resemble these? And if so, that's time for repentance. And I think we would all find times where uh, these verses would drive us to repentance. And it's very, very convicting, um, these verses, because the first three point you to a very compassionate God. And four through six point you to the wrathful God, which we clearly need because we can get very comfortable with our own sins. And I was thinking about this a lot as you were talking, is how we can very easily overlook sins and say, well, God is, you know, God's a loving God. Therefore, he's, like you said so well, he's maybe indifferent to those sins, you know, this evil that I may have in my heart. Well, he's indifferent to that because God, after all, God is love. But here, as you said, he's not indifferent. And so how easy is it for us to kind of overlook sins and then and then, and then, then easy for us just to kind of, oh, what make God sound indifferent? How easy is that for us? Oh, it's so very easy. And we can also fool ourselves into thinking that, uh, yeah, we may make mistakes. We'll, we'll kind of rationalize it that way or... Uh, we'll make errors, but it's not real sin because we can come to church and say that we repent and the Lord will forgive us and it's not really a big deal. In fact, I had that experience one time with a, a person who uh, refused to stop a, a uh, very blatant sin, 
by saying that, but I'll come to church next Sunday, Pastor, and you've got to forgive me, but I have no intention of changing my life. And so what's an appropriate way for us as pastors to address such a situation? Well, I like to go to the close of the commandments. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, people don't like to hear that. Uh, The Lord is jealous and punishes us for sin and that there are people who actually hate God because you hardly ever find someone except maybe someone under great duress say, you know, I really hate God. Mm-hmm. Everyone will say, well, I love God, at least my conception of who God is, because he's a, he's a fine fellow who uh, kind of thinks I'm just fine too, even if I'm having a bit of trouble right now. Uh, so yeah, we, we need this stern law. And we remember again, as the uh, close of the commandment says, God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. And uh, later in the psalm here, we get the language of, of properly fearing God. And that, you know, Pastor, I really appreciate your insights on this because it, it's very, I mean, if, if we have a, a view of God outside of the cross, Without, without the wrath of God, the cup of wrath being poured upon the Lord, we can really do two things. One, be in complete despair because we cannot dwell with him because we know we all have evil in our hearts, that he hates evil, and if we have evil, then he hates us, and that he abhors and wants to dis- and destroys all you know, these who speak lies. And we cannot help but see ourselves which is why it's important, as we talk a lot about when we've been studying the Old Testament, while we put on our Christ goggles, and here we can see the need for a, a substitute, a, 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 a Lord who will stand in our place and to take this wrath upon themselves, because these verses are very important law that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, directs us, and, and as you said so well, too, that we die in those baptismal waters daily and we rise to new life. So right now I feel kind of dead. So any, any other thoughts before we move on? <laughs> the gospel is coming up directly. <laughs> All right, very good. Let's continue on to verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down, I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So he starts right away in verse 7, but, so there's definitely a transition that this is true, and then there's some good news coming. So what does he tell us in these two verses? Well, the uh, wonderful thing is that we may enter the Lord's house at uh, the time David probably wrote these words. The Lord's house was uh, where God chose to dwell in the ark, in the tabernacle. And uh, the temple hasn't been built yet, but the temple is soon promised. And we're told that wherever two or three gather in the Lord's name, he is with us. And so wherever we as Christians gather to pray and praise and hear the word of God, uh, we're in the Lord's house, wherever we might be. But you notice the only way uh, we get there is through the abundance of your steadfast love, uh, not our own worthiness, not our own works, uh, nothing 
in our hands we bring simply to your cross I cling, mm. as the hymn puts it. Uh, we get the privilege of entering the house of the Lord. It says, I will bow down towards your holy temple, and that's wherever Jesus is. And then this language, in the fear of you. And I imagine you've explained this to countless confirmation classes, that to fear, love, and trust in the Lord isn't quaking in our boots fear, but awe and reverence uh, for the graciousness and the goodness of the Lord. We know what he can do and what he would be uh, perfectly righteous in doing is destroying us as sinners. Instead, he redeems us and saves us from our sin. And so a proper fear and reverence and thanksgiving uh, enter into this. Uh, we, we marvel at the justice of, of our God, and we marvel even more at his mercy. And I find it interesting, too, how when we enter worship, verse 7, because you, you, you highlight it so great. I, this is another example of, this is also a verse, or cha, or, uh, excuse me, a psalm that we should read when we come into worship on Sunday morning or whatever day that you're able to worship because it reminds us of how we're able to enter here and to worship our Lord, which is, like you said so well, the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house, reminding us that we don't enter because we deserve it or that we have earned it, but we do it out of from his love that we're able to go and bow down. I think about this language of bow down because we don't, you know, we don't in our in our uh, Lutheran heritage, we don't have like a moment in the service where we bow down um, like flat on our stomachs or something. But there are times where, for example, my congregation, when, when people come forward for Holy Communion, everyone gathers in the front, and then I say, welcome to the Lord's table, and majority of people will then bow. And what does he mean, bow down toward your holy temple? What, is, what does that mean? What, what are we saying when we do that? We're saying that we acknowledge him to be the Lord, our God, creator of heaven and earth, but also uh, Jesus Christ, the Son, the one who redeems us. And we don't want to forget the Holy Spirit either. Uh, we bow down to the triune God. And it's, it's uh, something that has come up in our congregation during this past year of COVID. We went from kneeling at the altar rail to walking through for the Lord's Supper. Mm. And so now the, uh, the discourse is, now do we start kneeling again at the altar? And a lot of people are saying, yes, it's much, much more reverent. Mm. And others say, we like it how it goes faster by just walking through. Right. And we don't have to worry about our, our bad knees and our bad backs uh, if you're an elderly member of the congregation. Uh, but it's not really an American thing for us to do is to bow down for anyone. But I, I saw one of these things on the Internet that said, um, I bow down no, to no one. I respect the flag, but I bow down only to my Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, even if we're not physically bowing down, we can bow down internally in our spirits. And from there, we bow down before the Lord. And then I love verse 8. He says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. There's an important, important reality there is because that's who we are. We're, we're followers of the Lord, and he leads us. 
And this is an important distinction for us in America because we tend to always look at, okay, I'm a leader, be in leadership principles. But here he's saying, Lord, lead me. Why is this? I mean, verse 8 I thought was a really great transition as we're looking at everything that you're admitting who God is, a wrathful God, a loving God, and one who leads us. Why is it important for us to know as Christians that God leads us? Um, Just think what uh, trouble Praying sheep get into on their own. They're easy prey for the wolf. We need a shepherd. We need a leader. But again, it's kind of ironic that this is a command to the Lord. Lead me, O Lord. <laughs> yeah. But that's the kind of prayer that our Lord loves to hear. And he will surely grant. You know, one thing I, I relate this to is my own life. I remember when I, and kind of what you're saying when you were a freshman in college, I remember when I was preparing to go to college that there were moments where you're like, what is going on? Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Um, and, of course, I'm, you're not ready, but, but you know, by the grace of God, we move forward. I remember one night I could not sleep, which is probably why I needed to pray the Psalms more, but I didn't. And I remember that night I went up to my parents' bedroom. I, I knocked on the door. I came in, and I said, I need to talk to somebody. Which one's it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hope my parents listen to this because they probably remember this very well. And at that point, I remember my mom came out and I talked to her for a few hours and I was able to, about an hour, and then I was able to go back to bed and everything was good. But that kind of reminds me of that because, yes, it was demanding, but I knew that when I went in there, my parents were going to listen to me. Um, that this did not, I, I, I feared them in a certain, of course you fear your parents in a certain sense, but you also know because of their steadfast love, they will listen to you. And that's, why would we not think we can't do that to God? God, you better listen to me now because I got something to say. Um, and that's, yep, you, you told, thing. you told me I should bring everything in prayer. So here I am. Right, right. And so lead me, um, do this for me, keep me away from my enemies and make my ways straight. And I think there's a lot of times we need that because we don't know why we're going that direction. Lord, help me to go in a new direction. So, Pastor, any other thoughts before we move on? No, but uh, it's just such a beautiful gospel coming after the previous law. (laughs) And now we're going to go back to the law again. Nice, here we go. Verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Like you said, there's a lot of law there. And what is the law that the Lord has given us? Well, the law is basically there's death where there is disobedience to our Lord, all these sins that have been been committed. Uh, this is so graphic. Uh, their throat is an open grave. Mm. Well, you know what an open grave would be like after uh, a few days or weeks or months or years. Uh, and that's a description of the of the evil that can come out of us. Again, this is is looks like it's directed towards people outside. And we can see David as king and as uh, a, a king who is a representative of God. Um, part of his job is to sit in judgment over the evildoer. Uh, a, a king sometimes can't afford to have gospel grace to evildoers and would not be wise to do so. 
which makes it even more remarkable uh, that our God is more gracious than any earthly king could be. And like you said, it's so graphic. Then verse 10, make them bear their guilt, O God, basically demanding God to go against the enemies. Now, I've been trying to balance this with Jesus' words where he says, love your enemies and pray for them. Um, and, and there's other points where he pray, you know, pray for your enemies and you want their repentance. But here, I, there, like you said, there's a strong law here about how God's wrath needs to be poured down on enemies. But I'm also trying to balance that with Jesus' words. What are your thoughts on how you would teach that or explain that? Well, you know, Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin, which is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And I think perhaps what's happening here is these are, are those who have committed that unforgivable sin. Uh, they cannot be forgiven because uh, they will have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God trying to sanctify them. And at the other hand, we can see again here, as you alluded to earlier, that Christ came to bear our sin. And so here's this great paradox that the Holy Sinless Son of God he is going to take on all these evil attributes that we're praying against here. And he is going to bear the guilt of all the world to the cross. And so here's Jesus who, who points us in a new direction, realizing that the wrath that should be put on the enemies was put on him, which is... <laughs> Father, forgive them, he says from the cross. Yeah. Such wonderful, and this For, is forgive us our trespasses from the cross. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Forgive them, um, and this is a good reminder for us that in the we often will think Old Testament law, New Testament gospel, but when you actually slowly go through parts of the scriptures, especially Psalms, you will see both law and gospel, and there we see the law, which instantly drives us. What is the hope then? Because I might be the enemy. I might be the one that has an open grave for a throat, and my tongue is one that flatters people, and it's not even truth. But it is Christ who has taken these things upon himself. Last thoughts on those two verses, Pastor? Um, no, just as you, as you say, this is a strong, strong law here. Uh, but we realize that the curse of the law uh, was punished when Christ went to the cross. and. The Holy Spirit works in us. If we're hearing these words and we're feeling guilt and and we fear that these are, are uh, things that are describing ourselves, the fact that we're even worried about it means that the Holy Spirit is working in us and will work in us repentance. It's those who would absolutely disregard these words, uh, run past these words and, and ignore them or mock them. They're the ones that have to be worried. So let's continue in verses 11 and 12, which kind of leads us once again to some good old gospel. Verse 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So how does the psalmist, how does David the psalmist end this precious psalm for us this morning? Well, after the, uh, the uh, dread descriptions in the previous couple of verses, it's completely turned around. 
there's going to be rejoicing. There's going to be singing for joy. Uh, we're going to be marveling at the grace of our Lord. Uh, we are going to be protected. We're taking refuge in him. And we are going to respond with thanksgiving and praise. We're going to exult in the Lord. And I love at the end, um, it, it, it goes along with verse 11. Spread your protection over them, and then it doesn't ask for it at the end. It says, you cover him with favor as with a shield. I tried to think of that cover of favor and what that might look like. Any thoughts on that and those wonderful words? Well, what immediately came to mind was uh, that we are covered with the robe of Christ's righteousness. <laughs> Even though it's described as a robe, it is impenetrable, it is strong, it is mighty. Uh, the Lord will save those who he will save. Uh, he will bless us. He has gifted us with faith. And uh, he keeps giving us these great promises, which actually uh, work faith in us as we hear them, as we read them, as we sing them, as we exult in them. Another thing that uh, just kind of jumped out at me in, in this psalm and in so many other psalms is the fact that these psalms were made to be sung. A lot of joyful psalms to be sung. There are some psalms that are laments. There are sad songs. Uh, but this idea that the psalms are to be sung, that was kind of foreign to me as I was growing up. Although I do remember being in junior choir. Uh, my aunt was the choir director, and she had us 13- and 14-year-old boys chanting the intro and the gradual in our church services. Wow. And we hated it. Our voices were breaking. <laughs> we didn't know what octave we should sing in. And But that was my, my, my first experience of singing the Psalms, and then I kind of disappeared from my life. We were a congregation that used uh, the, the old Lutheran hymnal that uh, did not have the chanting parts for the pastor, and most congregations didn't bother chanting things. But when I got down to St. Louis and joined another church there, all of a sudden, there was more chanting and singing going on. And of course, when I got to the seminary, uh, it was showing us uh, how beautiful the chanting could be. And I've uh, brought this back to both congregations I've served. Uh, with mixed results, there are some people who just cannot get used to the process of chanting. They think it's too hard. Uh, they think we're, I don't know, too high church somehow. And yet, uh, I think it's beautiful when a congregation can chant. Uh, all the parts of the liturgy, and also chant any psalm that's thrown at them, which it really isn't hard to do uh, with the uh, settings we have for the psalms. And there's, there, you know, there's there's countless ones out there. Uh, we do exactly what the Lord would have us do. We sing for joy. Uh, we also sometimes sing for sadness, but uh, when it all comes to an end with the gospel being wrapped up, we're going to be singing for joy in heaven. Pastor, as we, as we close up our time today, Psalm 5, how would you describe it and why is it important for us to pray it? I would describe it as the voice of faith calling upon the Lord to fulfill his promises. And it's the voice of faith uh, despairing over human evil and even the evil in ourselves and looking then to the Lord uh, if who for the sake of his steadfast love is going to bless us and cover us with favor as with a shield. Uh, we have a steadfast faith in the goodness and everlasting love of our Lord. And this psalm closes with that confidence. 
Pastor Robert Wenzel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Bemidji, Minnesota, giving us strength by God's word from Psalm 5. Pastor Wenzel, thank you for being our guest. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, you reminded us so well that through the abundance of your steadfast love, O Lord, I will enter your house to knowing that he not only will look upon us with favor, which is what we say in the benediction, but he will cover us with favor as a shield as our Lord forgives us, renew us, and saves us. Even though chief of sinners though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and may he keep you safe in the palm of his hands.